for God's anointing in our lives, in, the, in our ministries, in our activities, and everything that we do. And, of course, I always pray for God's anointing before I preach. That's something that is important because without that, it's, it's hard to hear from God. Uh, would you put out that first slide there? See, we need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit or our efforts are worse than useless. Useless because we are attempting to minister in our own strength, saying we don't need God, which is humanism. We're saying our ideas and ways are more important than God's, which is idolatry. And doing things our way is rebellion, which the Bible says is equal to the sin of witchcraft. But you never thought about that. So every time you, you try to do things your way instead of God's way, you're guilty of witchcraft. And we don't like, we kind of like to, to make things not sound so as bad as they are, don't we? As believers, we kind of like to, to make things sound a little nicer so they're easier for to accept. But see, God doesn't do that. God says, tells us the, uh, things the way that they are, whether we like it or not. He didn't, God didn't come just so we could do things that we like, did he? <laughs> if he did... Sometimes it'd be nicer, wouldn't it? <laughs> but it isn't. See, our lives are useless. Basically, we try to do it in our own efforts. Because God didn't want us to do things in our own efforts. And I've, I know that sometimes it's hard for some people not to do things in their own efforts, especially if they're gifted in a certain area. I know I've always ha had the ability to talk. And in school growing up, it was at the wrong time. And that was during the time frame when uh, teachers could spank the kids. And I, not only that, I had teachers grab me by the hair of the head and beat my head into the wall. You all know what's wrong with me? I got brain damage. <laughs> but they could do that back then. And you didn't dare say anything to your parents about it because what would happen? You'd get another whooping. <laughs> I know you kids are looking at me like, whoopings, what's that? When I grew up, you, we didn't have to, if my dad had to chase us to punish us, it was worse. Our dad used to say, come on. And we used to have to lay across his lap, and he would paddle our behinds. If he had to chase us, it was worse. So as much as we hated doing it, we had to do there. Of course, I know I hardly ever got spanked because I never did anything wrong. <laughs> of course, then there's a other, other aspect of that where they used to make your um, kid go out and take a, a branch off of the tree to be spanked with. And us as kids, we were kind of not very smart because we used to pick the smallest ones instead of the biggest ones. But those are the ones that hurt the worst because they were more elastic and like hitting with a whip. <laughs> so we weren't very smart back then. So kids, see what you missed? We had this um, paddle that we had. It was kind of like, a, it was just about this long, and it was kind of like shaped like this with a handle. And in between it was an opening space, about a half inch in between it, and it had holes in it. So when you got hit with it, it sounded worse than it was. And uh, I'm not saying that it didn't hurt, because it did. <laughs> Otherwise, why, why go for that effort? It just made it easier on the parents, right? 
but it made more noise than anything, and if the kids thought they got made a lot of noise, then it was worse. So actually, just going like this was enough sometimes to make a break a cold sweat out on their faces, right? I know you're, you're, you're uh, were raised in the idea, uh, the society we live in, where the kids are little gods, and we're supposed to bow down and worship them because little Johnny is perfect. Well, little Johnny needs his little behind, paddled a few times, because it'll knock the rebellion right out of him. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of miss those days because, see, if you'll notice, the closer we were to parents being able to discipline their children, the better our society was. You look back at the crime rates and things like that, it was less when parents were allowed to get in there and paddle their kids. And ever since we said we can't do that, Kids have gotten worse because they think that they can get away with anything. And uh, I know there are times, and, w and the worst things, our kids would rather been paddled than be grounded. That was the worst thing you could do. Now, I don't know whether your parents were like, like uh, we were. We used to take everything out of our kids' rooms, and they had to s were grounded to their rooms. So all that was in there was their bed. And our kids were spoiled rotten. They had TVs and they had stereos and all this other kind of stuff that they had. So all that stuff come out of the room. And there's nothing worse than being grounded to a room with nothing to do in there. They might accidentally have to do their homework. Because if they're bored, they'll do their homework, parents. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of what we used a lot of because that was the worst punishment we could do with, to our kids. They'd rather have a spanking because, hey, it was over in just a few minutes. <laughs> But the other thing lasted a lot longer. So, but uh, God said that rebellion was like witchcraft. And you say, well, I'm not rebellious. Well, in reality, we are. If we're trying to do things our way instead of God's way, that's rebellion. If your kids are doing things against your rules and regulations that you have in your house, it's rebellion. So it isn't something that God smiles on because he equates it to witchcraft. And what was the penalty for witchcraft in the Old Testament? Death. So it was a pretty serious offense. Of course, in the Old Testament, they had a problem. They had a way of dealing with kids that we don't have today. Uh, God said, if you have an unruly child, bring him to the temple. Talk about how unruly they are. And then take them out and stone them. <laughs> and the parents had to throw the first stone. So it kind of did away with juvenile delinquency, didn't it? Because they wouldn't have lived long enough to do it again. <laughs> but they didn't have a lot of that because of the fact that it could be done. And sometimes a threat is, is worse than, than not doing it at all. And people say, well, capital punishment doesn't detour anything. Yes, it does. I guarantee it. If capital punishment is enforced, they won't do it again, will they? That's a permanent answer to a solution to the problem. So, and I do believe in capital punishment because there are certain things that I think are bad enough that they need to be, uh, their lives need to be sacrificed for what they've done. And high on that list is uh, rape and murdering children. To me, that's one of the worst things that someone could do is that. And God thinks it's one of the worst things that could be done too because he said that anyone that harms one of these little ones, it's better for them that a millstone be hung around their neck and thrown into the deepest sea. And that would have been kind. But God will eventually take care of all this stuff and everything will be taken care of because God will take care of it. And uh, 
But of course, like I said, all sin is a death sentence. We have a tendency to think that there's equal, well, well, this sin isn't as bad, so God isn't going to send him to hell for lying, but he will for stealing or all the other things. But the reality is Jesus died for sin. He didn't just die for the lying. He didn't just die, die for the stealing. He didn't just die for the murderer. He died for all sin. And so, therefore, no matter what it is, if you haven't accepted Christ and his payment for sin, then you are going to pay for it yourself. So we can either accept Christ's payment or his death on the cross, or we will pay for it with our own death. One or the other, the payment is still death, one way or the other. The only difference is we get to choose what payment we want. I like God's payment. I don't want to pay for it myself. Why would I want to? But that's the reality, and there are a lot of people in this world that think that I can do just enough good things that will countermeasure all the bad things that I do, and then I'll be okay. There isn't a verse in the Bible that will back that up, not one. So people tell you that, they don't know any better. Tell them to read the book because it's in there. Uh, because there's no way that we could do enough good things to outweigh the bad that we've done. If we could, then Jesus died in vain. He had no reason to come. He had no reason to die. So we need to understand that. And I think we've all tried to do things in our own strength, haven't we? Sometimes we think because I'm gifted this way, oh, God, sorry, God, I got this one. I can do this. I know that I've preached long enough that I could probably come up here and preach a sermon in my own strength if I wanted to. But I don't want to. I'd be crazy to. Because God said I needed to depend on him. God's the one that gave me the gift to do it, and he's helped me uh, hone that skill, if you will, because as you serve God over a period of time, no matter what it is, whether it's in the serving God or whether it's being an auto mechanic. I mean, if you've ever looked at an engine of a car, you may not know where a spark plug is. But after you've studied it over a long period of time, you can become a pretty good mechanic. But there is that same reality in serving God, too. But we don't want to depend on our own strength. We want to depend on God. Because when we do, it makes it a lot easier, and then it makes it more fruitful. I know that there are mechanics that know engines so well that they don't even need to, to put them, these fancy machines on it. They can listen to it and hear what the problem is because they're so good at what they do. Well, God is so good at everything that if we allow him to do it and he flows through us, it's easy to do. Or he makes it look easy. It isn't easy, but he can do that for each and every one of us. Now, Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, we had a lot of songs this morning that I, that I kind of chose because of this particular emphasis. Now, this is the verse of the Assemblies of God. This is our mission statement. Because there isn't anything that we can do to be able to promote the gospel. Nothing. It's only through God's strength and through his abilities, anointing us, that it can be done. Revival only happens when God pours out his spirit. Not because I preached such a wonderful message. I could sit up here and read, uh, sing the song Three Blind Mice with the anointing of God and people would come up fall at these altars on their knees in repentance. Because it has nothing to do with what I do. It has to do with what God does. And he can anoint anything or anyone. 
So it isn't what we do, it's what God does. And when we understand that we do it in his strength, it's easier. It's real easy for a song to be sung when you turn on the radio, isn't it? But if we're trying to sing that song, can't carry a tune in a bucket, but God can do it. And I remember uh, years ago, I heard this story about this guy that used to lead song service in a newer, uh, newer church, and he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. But he was faithful. He was there every week leading song service, and he, he put so much time and effort in it, and he prayed and he sought God, and uh, pretty soon that church grew to the point where they didn't need this guy anymore. So they put a professional in that spot. And, oh, he could sing like an angel, he could direct music like nobody's business, but the anointing wasn't there because that guy depended on his abilities and not God's abilities. I would rather have somebody that can't carry a tune in a bucket lead music than someone that's a professional because I want God's anointing on every aspect of this service, even collecting the offering. There's an anointing involved. People give not because we got two cute kids running around with a basket to carry it, pick up the money. That ain't why people give. People give because they dedicated that aspect of their income to God. And it wouldn't matter who collected it because God is the one that needs to do it in our hearts. If God doesn't put the, the gift of giving in our hearts, it doesn't matter how or who collects the money, it won't change nothing. But when we give our lives to God, he puts in a giving spirit in our hearts. And then when the offerings pass by, then God sees to it that we give, and God blesses the what's given, and we play our bills around here. Because we have bills, just the same as you do. You have a light bill, we have a light bill. You have a water bill, we have a water bill. You have a propane bill, we have a propane bill. Except it costs a lot more here than it does at your house. It just amazes me how much our water bill is when we're only here a couple days a week. I'm going, man, where is the water all going? It's just amazing how much we use. But the reality is we still have to pay it. So, And we can't pay it if, if God doesn't lay it on your heart to give. And uh, God has chosen that way to support his kingdom. He doesn't have to. He can do just like he did with Peter and Oh, Peter, go out and catch a fish, and when that first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you're going to have a gold coin in there. Use that to pay your taxes. Now, I could be all out for fishing if that would happen to me all the time. Wouldn't you? Hey, I'm going fishing. I'd be okay with that. Other than that, forget it. I keep telling people if God wanted to eat fish, he wouldn't have tried to drown them. Because I know I just do not like fish. I'm okay with tuna fish. So... I've never had light fish, so I'm glad I wasn't born then because I wouldn't have liked a whole diet of fish. For those of you who like fish, all right, good for you. <laughs> but I don't have to be. Um, so anyway, we have to depend on God for everything that we do, not only in ministering in the church, but on the job that you do, no matter what it is. Whatever job you, you do that creates income for you and your family, God wants you to be anointed to do it. And when you're anointed to do that job, it's easier for you to do it. Not only easier, it creates an attitude in you where you don't hate it as bad. Now, I know that we all have to work. 
And I'm not saying that every single job I had, I liked because I didn't. Sometimes we do jobs just because we have to and we need the money. But if we give that, take that job before God and say, God bless it, change my attitude towards that job, then he will help us and he will anoint us to do it to glorify him. And ultimately, that's what we want. And uh, when we give it to God, that's what happens. Uh, see, the simplest understanding of the anointing, because sometimes we use that word and we throw it around a lot and we really don't, okay, we say that a lot, but what does it mean? Well, the simplest understanding of the word anointing is to think about it as being set apart. We are set apart as believers when we, come, when we accept Christ as our Savior. We're set apart for what? To serve him. We're set apart to do the things he wants us to do. This building is set apart as a way that we can come together, not only to fellowship, but to study God's word, to praise God. We sing songs and all the things that we do. This building is set apart for that particular use. Every chair here is set apart or anointed, if you will, to serve God. And God wants us to be set apart for doing what pleases him. That's the easiest understanding of that word. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramoth. When a new king or priest was anointed or set apart, they dumped oil on their head. That was the way that they acknowledged it to everyone that was around that witnessed it. And that oil would, didn't just stay a little dry. I know that when we anoint people to pray for them, we just put a little bit on the forehead. But when they anointed them to be the king or the high priest, they dumped it all over them, and it run down their face onto their clothes. And that was the, the way that they set them apart for that purpose. They were set apart by God to be the king. They were set apart by God to be the high priest. But not everyone got this anointing. It wasn't just for everyone. It was just for a select few. And uh, so I like the New Testament a lot better because we all have that opportunity to be anointed and to be set apart. Now, this symbolized that the person was set apart for God's instrument to be used. And as believers, we are set apart for God's instrument to be used. And that happens when we accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Then we are anointed to serve him or set apart for his service. Now, the, the anointing isn't like electricity. It isn't an emotion, although that when we're in the presence of God, emotions are affected. I know I've been in some awesome services where uh, the anointing, I've always said that it's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Have you ever been in a service like that? I think that every service has the potential to be like that. The only thing that's different is us. See, when we used to come to church, we always came with the idea we're expecting God to do something wonderful. And marvelous. And we expected it. And when we came expecting that, we were never disappointed. Most people today come to church with the idea, well, let's see, I just got to put in an hour and a half and I've done my good deed for the, for the week and I'm okay to go for another week. We don't have that anticipation when we come to church. So when we don't have that anticipation, we're not disappointed. Because if you come with the idea of expecting something from God, you won't be disappointed. 
And if you come not expecting anything, you won't be disappointed either. So why not come with the idea of I'm expecting God to do something great in the service today? That's what we need to do. Because when we come that way, God will never disappoint us. Maybe you'll be the only one in the church that has that idea. <laughs> but God won't disappoint you. Like I said, I, it's amazing. You know, you go to services and, and some people walk out of there just as dead as a doornail, doorknob. I don't know where that saying came from. And they leave that way. But some people come with the expectation of God, and they leave that way. They leave having their need met because it's their attitude towards why they're coming. And we're coming expecting. We're coming uh, knowing that God's going to be here because he promised to be here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst. That isn't maybe he's in the midst. That's he is in the midst. So if we don't sense God this morning, it isn't because God isn't here. It's us. We need to turn our channel to that channel where we can sense his presence. That's the only difference. If you want to listen to the oldies on satellite radio, you have to have it turned to that channel. You don't can't have it turned to the talk radio and expect to hear the oldies. You have to tune it to that channel. And we need to be tune our own radio to his settings when we come to church because then we will sense his presence. If we don't, hey, it won't matter how, how thick the presence of God is in this place, you won't sense it. So I want to make sure I get my radio tuned before I come to church. Say, God, tune my heart. Help me to receive your word. Help me to sense your presence. And then we will. It's really simple. Serving God and doing the things that God wants us to do is so simple we miss it. That's why salvation is so simple. And so many miss it. Because it's too simple. We like the aspect, if, see, if I do this many things, then I can go to heaven. We like that. But God said, no, 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 no. It isn't about what you did, it's what he did. That's the only thing that matters. We can't do enough good things. So the anointing wasn't a force. <clears throat> the tabernacle or the furniture, the utensils and clothing used for worship, worship had to be anointed before they could be used and couldn't be used for any other purpose than what they were anointed for. Now this building, like I said, has been dedicated to God for us to use in worship. So we can't take this and go use it somewhere else. We can't go down and, and gather up our chairs and use it at the local theater to show an X-rated film because it isn't anointed for that purpose. It wasn't set apart for that purpose. It was set apart to be here to worship God. And everything that God uses for his purpose had to be anointed or separated for that purpose. And nothing was anointed with ordinary oil. They had a certain formula that had to be used for this oil. Uh, Exodus 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus. I think that God knew that when we got older, we'd have new math and we wouldn't be able to figure this out. That half as much. We're going to get that in a minute. <laughs> anyway, um, 200 shekels of fra fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hint of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil. 
a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer, man, it will be a s the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, the law, the table and its articles, the lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense. The next slide. The altar for an offerings and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You can consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Aaron, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may be, serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes a perfume like this and puts it to, on anyone other than a priest may be cut off from their people. God prescribed the ingredients that had to be in this anointing oil. It couldn't just be any old run-of-the-mill oil. And they weren't allowed to use it for any other purpose. Basically, it was a death sentence if you took this formula and used it for something else in Israel. You were cut off. Well, to be cut off in Israel was basically a death sentence because if you weren't in the, in the community, you couldn't live. So basically, that's what it was. And so we couldn't take this stuff that God has used for a certain purpose and use it for something else. They couldn't use it for cooking. They could, not that they'd want to. I have accidentally licked my fingers out of this anointing oil we use, and it don't taste very good. It smells good, but it does not taste good. <laughs> so, but God had a specific prescription that he gave us for this, this oil, and it was quite a process in order to create it, and it wasn't allowed to be created for any other reason. Now, this recipe pictured what we need for God's anointing. The first ingredient was liquid myrrh. Now, myrrh was used to prepare bodies for death. And it was crushed to get its beautiful sweetness. They had to use it to cover up the smell of death is what they used it for. And death stinks, doesn't it? If you watch any of these CSI shows, you know that it does. Anyway, the, the way that they sh just show it, you know that it stinks. Of course, I know I've gotten a, had a dead mouse in the house or something like that, and it really stinks, doesn't it? Death stinks. So, and this will symbolize death. And to have God's anointing, we had to die to our own abilities and resources. That's the hardest thing that we have to do as believers is tie to ourselves and to our own abilities. We could never crucify ourselves, <laughs> even though God tells us we need to die to ourselves. We can't crucify ourselves because, you know, we may get the, the feet and one hand done, but then the other one would be, be going like this. See, look at me. I'm so important. See what I've done to myself? We can't. We have to die and let God kill us. And the only way that we can serve God is by allowing his death, accepting his death. Otherwise, we, like I said, we would pay for it with our death. And through his death, that fragrance of the sweetness of what he did for us will flow through our own lives when we accept it. Uh, Psalms 37.4. Seek your, seek your happiness in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Now, the wonderful thing about serving God is even though we have to die to ourselves, and we don't like those verses, he says that if we seek you first, every desire we have in our heart and in our life will be granted. 
Of course, God changes our desires when we become believers. Have you noticed that? I mean, there's a lot of things I never thought I'd want to do before I became a believer that I want to now because he changes our desires. And when he changes our desires, he gives them to us. So it, it's a great deal. I mean, there's nothing bad about accepting God as our Savior. Nothing. Because we get the desires of our heart. And man, I'll tell you, if all the world out there got the desires of their heart, this world would be a not nicer place. But see, their desires, the things that they seek, isn't what God says will make us happy. Because only God can make us happy. When we seek him, happiness will flow through us. We couldn't, um, <clears throat> if we don't die to ourselves, then God may do it through a set of circumstances to crush us in order that we may die. So I'd rather do it willingly than have God do it because when God does something, it's not pleasant. And, but sometimes that's what we have to do. God can't use us if we're not anointed. And we can't be anointed unless we die to ourselves and allow him to use us. And when we die to ourselves, he changes us from the inside out. Remember, religion ch tries to change us from the outside in, but God changes us from the inside out. That's something that don't make any, any sense when you look at a religion. Because religion is God's attempt to reach man, or man's attempt to reach God, when Calvary was God's attempt to reach man. So religion is something external, whereas a relationship is something internal that we have with Christ. Now, are, there are things in our life that God can't anoint. We think, we think we'd like to have God anoint everything in our life, and he will as long as we seek him first, and we know that those things are things that he can anoint, because there are things that God can't anoint. Now, we all know about the Big Ten, we all know that if we commit, break the Ten Commandments, God isn't going to anoint us while we're doing it. Make sense? But the reality is that there's certain things in my life that is a sin for me that isn't a sin for you. And there's certain things in your life that you can do that's a sin, that I can't do. And there's certain things I can do that you can't do. Now, God does that because he knows that each of us lives are different. And there's certain things that we do that will be harmful to us. And we don't know what those things are. We just have to trust God that he's going to make sure that we don't do those things. And sometimes he has to show us the hard way what those things are. And uh, so we need to understand that sometimes it's things that not necessarily that we do, but some places we can't go. God can't anoint every place we go. So if you're going places that you can't take God with you, you shouldn't be going. There's certain things that we watch on TV that God can't anoint. That's the reality of life. Now, we know what those things are because we know that if we're in the, put in those situations, that we can sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we know what they are, either during or afterwards, and God will deal with us, and then we have to confess those sins uh, to God, whatever they might be. And only God is the one that determines what is sin, not man. Man cannot legislate sin, although they've tried. And they legislate things that uh, God calls sin that man doesn't. And just because man says it's okay doesn't mean that God does. And we have to go by what God says, not what man says. <clears throat> so God inhabited the Old Testament temples. 
as long as it was cleansed and the way that it was set apart and anointed, God inhabited the temple, the Old Testament. And as believers, we are the temple. We are God's temple. And when we become believers, then God anoints us from the inside out. So we are the temple. Where's that song? Got to go out and dig that out again. We are the temple. Can't even remember the verse, the chorus now. But anyway, and in the Old Testament, if the temple was defiled, which it was on on occasions, it had to be reanointed. It had to be cleansed and reanointed. The same thing with this temple. If we allow sin in our life, it has to be cleansed and reanointed. And that's real a real simple process. God, forgive me for my sin. But we have to admit that it was sin, and we don't like that word, so we say, forgive me for doing what's wrong, because it sounds better. Sin's an ugly word, isn't it? But we have to confess those sins, and then we have to say, God, re-anoint my life. Hopefully, this isn't a 24-hour thing. Hopefully, that we, as we get draw closer to God, it becomes easier not to sin. There's some things when I first became a believer that were harder for me not to do. And a lot of those things I don't have trouble with today, but some things I still have problems with. Because we don't ever, because if we don't have trouble with things and we don't struggle with things, then pretty soon we'll be saying, see, I don't have a problem with that because uh, look how righteous I am. That's why. Want to know why we struggle? That's why. Because God doesn't want us to get a big head because pride goeth before a fall. Remember? And that's one of the worst sins that there is, is pride. Not that the, with God all sin is bad. So anyway, we need to re-anoint ourselves and be cleansed, just like the Old Testament temple needed to do. The second ingredient in the anointing oil was cinnamon. Now, cinnamon was used for flavoring. It gave off a real pleasant odor. Now, cinnamon is my hidden secret ingredient in my spaghetti sauce. I've had people ask me, what do you put in there? What is that is in there? Well, that's what it is. I'm giving away my secret. It's cinnamon. Because it adds a unique flavor to it, and there's a, there's a unique uh, sweetness about cinnamon. It smells good. That's why when you go down to the mall and they have those buns that you can smell, it's that cinnamon that you can smell because it's enticing and it smells good. It makes you want to eat it. Next thing you know, you got one in your hand. Because, and they, pro- they have fans that they blow up through the, through the malls so you'll buy more. Well, God wants to have a fan behind us to have that sweet cinnamon fragrance <laughs> in this world so people will be drawn to that fragrance. So we need to understand that uh, God has a sweetness about him, and when he lives in us, it'll come out. We can either be bitter or we can smell nice. And God wants us to smell nice and use deodorant under both arms didn't get that, but it'll, it'll get you later. Sometimes I have no control over what comes out of here. I'm just as surprised as you are. So cinnamon is a, is a wonderful ingredient. Now this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. When we become a believer, God starts developing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now as you know, a fruit tree doesn't have to struggle to create fruit. It's just something that it just automatically does. As long as you take care of an apple tree, you water it, you do the things you need to do to take care of that apple tree, it's going to produce apples without any effort. But an apple will not produce oranges. 
and the fruit of the Spirit God will develop in us the closer we are with him. And this fruit will come out. We don't have to struggle with it. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be joyful today, and I'm just going to struggle to be joyful. doesn't work like that. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, we automatically have joy. We're automatically joyful. We automatically have peace. All those things that, that the fruit of the Spirit has is in us, and God wants to cultivate it in our lives. And all we have to do is stay attached to the vine in order for that to happen. We don't have to work hard at it. It's something that God works hard at. All we have to do is keep showing up in God's presence, and he will do it for us. We don't have to struggle with it. The third ingredient in the oil was cane or calamus. Now, the calamus plant, it grows in miry soil. Had that song, got my feet in the miry clay. He let my feet on the rocky stone. That old hymn, whatever it was. Miry clay is what this plant grew in. Now, a lot of things don't grow on that kind of soil, but this particular um, plant does. Now, to get the aroma from this plant, it had to be beaten. And the more you beat it, the better it smelled. Now, I don't like trials and circumstances in my life. And usually when we have circumstances in our life, we don't smell pretty, do we? We get bitter and sometimes we get angry. But see, God wants to use those things to make us sweeter. And how, we, how can we be sweeter when all this stuff's going on in our life? By allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us. It doesn't matter what happens in the world when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Because the world can be falling apart around us and we can still walk around with a smile on our face because of who we are in Christ. That's easy to do if we let God do it. When we try to do it on ourselves, and we let circumstances dictate how we're going to feel, we will never have a good day because this is not a pleasant place to live overall. There are good moments, but in this world, there's more bad moments than there are good if you put them on a scale. But when we, we uh, live our lives and let God live through us, those bad moments don't seem so bad. It's like when you fall in love for the first time. It doesn't matter what happens. You got a letter from your, well, we had letters back then, not emails. You got letters or you got a phone call and I'll tell you it'd be enough for you to lay up, live for the next week. It didn't matter what happened. Nothing can wipe the smile off your face. Well, that's what God wants to do for us. When he lives through others, nothing in this world can wipe the smile off our face. But we have to be able to do it God's way. And it doesn't make sense to our minds. We think, oh, man, if just good things happen to me, then I will be happy. No, you won't. If good things happening in your life made you happy, how come so many rich people that have it all commit suicide? How come so many of them do drugs? Because it doesn't cause happiness. The only way we can be happy is when the Holy Spirit lives within us. That's the only way. And the world out there is looking for something that is so simple, and they think it's in stuff. Or, oh, if that, that one guy I, I like so much, if he just smile at me, I'd feel better. For one day. <laughs> but the reality is God has the answer. And all we have to do is give it to God, and he will turn it around, and he'll make us smell nice to the world. <clears throat> now, I've told God I'm sweet enough. 
Have you? You know, things happening all around you, and I keep saying, God, I'm sweet enough. I don't want to be any sweeter. <laughs> but only God can determine what we need. And I guess it's a good thing, because otherwise we would never have anything bad happen to us, would we? But the only, uh, the only times that we know how much we trust God is when bad things happen. That's how we know. When you don't have any money, that's when you can try, have to trust God that he will give you some. If you have no way of paying your bills, the only way to trust God is by allowing him to do it. Sometimes we don't have any choice. And it's amazing how in those times that God always comes through. When all we have left is God, God is all that we need. And if we find that out before we have the bad times, we won't have as many bad times because God won't need to have circumstances work in our lives to get all this stuff out of us so we can trust God. Because ultimately, God doesn't let things happen to us because he hates us. He lets things happen to us because he loves us, and he knows that that's the only way we are going to grow. When your kids were little and they started walking or trying to walk, if they got up and finally worked themselves up to the table and they fell down, oh, that's it, kid. That's the only chance you got. You gave up. That's the only chance you had to walk. It's over. Kids learn how to walk by struggling to walk. I fell down I don't know how many times. And if you're like me, it was always by a coffee table <laughs> that you fall on, you know. <laughs> I hit my head on my coffee table, broke the coffee table, right? But... Um, the only way we learn how to do things is through struggling. If it was easy, where's the struggle? Where's the growth? We learn by struggling, and we become stronger through struggling. Weightlifters become stronger and get those six-pack abs and those, whatever you want to call them, by exercising, don't they? And it, they don't get up and say, oh, man, I just love sweating. I love doing this. No. They do it to push their body so they can be stronger. And the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. We will never be stronger until we stretch ourselves or allow God to stretch us. It's the only way it will happen. <clears throat> uh, the fourth ingredient in the anointing oil was cassia. Now, this spice only grows in the high mountains at an elevation above 8,000 feet. So, if you want to be strong and you want to have that anointing, that sweet aroma in your life, you have to climb the mountain with God in prayer. Because climbing mountains isn't easy, is it? If you've ever been mountain climbing or hiking, nowadays I just hike up to the car. <laughs> it's a paddle. But when we were younger, man, we liked hiking and climbing and doing all kinds of stuff. I loved to climb trees. I fell out of a lot of them. I'll tell you, I got the scars to prove it. And I never, ever fell out of the bottom. It was always when I was up at the top that I fell in it, so I could hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> but we've got to climb everything. If you want something, you have to exert the energy to do it. And if you want to have an experience in the high places with God, you have to do some climbing. And it isn't, and putting a car in gear and climbing the mountain doesn't count. And... Uh, Jesus had to do this every single day. He prayed to God because Jesus chose to walk in the anointing. 
He chose to do that so he could show us how to do it. Jesus could have done it by himself. He's God. He could have done anything. But he, as our example, showed us how to do it. He said, I'm going to walk in the strength I want you to walk in, and that is in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. So he got up early every day to pray to, as our example. So if we want to have strength, that's the way we're going to get it, is by doing that and climbing. Um, there's no shortcut to the anointing. There's nothing, there's no shortcut to anything good in this life, is there? No matter what it is, there's not a shortcut. Nobody gets to wake up one morning and say, I want to be a doctor, and then by the afternoon, you're a doctor. Well, some of people may change their name to doctor to be a doctor. <laughs> but basically, there's education process they have to go through. Eight years of medical school, residency, and all this other kind of stuff in order to do that. Well, nothing is easy with God either. But when we invest in God, God will grant the request, and he will make us strong. Now, the last ingredient was virgin olive oil, and all the ingredients were added to this olive oil and mixed. Now, how many know what virgin olive oil is? For those of you that don't, it's the first fruits that's on the olive tree. The first time it has olives on it, that's what they take out of, and then they make oil out of it. And anything after that, the second and third things of the olives, are lesser, a lesser quality of oil. So you take the best that you have, the best oil there was, and that's what you mix all these ingredients with to create this oil. Now throughout the Bible, oil symbolizes the person of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Especially the New Testament. Uh, we know that the, he considered the Holy Spirit is talked about oil. Oil in the lamps in the, in the temple or whatever for light. Holy Spirit is our light. The Holy Spirit is everything for us as believers, not only the anointing, but our strength. Everything that we have is given to us because of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, anointing is the main responsibility and work of the Holy Spirit. When we think of the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the one that we have a personal connection with because it's the Holy Spirit that comes and lives with us when we become believers. <clears throat> now, the Lord combines all the good stuff and the difficult things in our lives with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And each one of us, and he uses us, and he anoints us to do whatever he's called us to do. But we can't have a shortcut on any of those things. God has a way to do it, and we have to do it God's way, not our way. Uh, John seven thirty eight. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As a believer, Holy Spirit lives within us, and he says like rivers of living water will pour through us. The Holy Spirit will flow through us. Now the only thing that can stop the flow of the Holy Spirit is what? A dam. You want to block the water from flowing like, like uh, Glen Canyon Dam out here at Lake Powell? There's a dam there because it holds the water back. And then they, have a, a, they release so much water at certain times in order to use it down river, if you will. And the only thing that will block the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life is sin. Sin is the dam in our own lives 
and it'll keep God from flowing through us. And when that dam in our own life blocks that flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, all of a sudden, everything that we do for God is harder. So if you're struggling with something, first thing we need to do and look and see, God, is there a dam in my life? Have I got sin in my life that's stopped the flow of your Holy Spirit in my life? Sometimes it's because God just wants us to make us stronger and wants us to grow. But other times we have sin in our life that we've let creep, creep in, creep in, and stop that flow of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to examine our lives. That's why I said we, we actually we should examine our lives every single day. Say, God, is there something happened today? Did I sin? Did I do something that was displeasing to you? We ought to evaluate our lives every single day. Good time to do that is before you go to sleep. And let God take care of it right then and there. Uh, 1 John 2.27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Sometimes, as Pentecostals, we think we can live any way we want, and God will anoint our lives. Or we can live any way I want. Well, I got to preach today, so I better get up here. Okay, God, anoint me. After I preach, then I go back and forget about anything. That isn't the way it works. It may, that may be the way it works out there, but it isn't the way you work as a believer. We need God's anointing every minute, every second of our life. We can't just live the way we want and expect God to anoint it because he won't. We cannot live as believers without the anointing. When we feel ourselves cooling off towards the things of God, we need to ask God, what's going on? We need to be so sensitive to his spirit and to his anointing that even the slightest thing causes us to question, oh, God, did I sin? Did something happen? It's kind of like all of a sudden we're plugged into electricity as a blender, and it's running, running, and running, and all of a sudden it quits working. We have to realize and be so sensitive to that. Uh, Judges 16.20. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and she began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We have too many people that are trying to live for God without God. And this is the saddest scripture in the Bible because he did not know the spirit had left him. I don't ever want to get in a, be in a position to not know when the spirit has left me. And God leaves us when we sin. That's the reality of it because God can't live in sin. So he wants us to confess those sins. He wants to flow through us. He wants us to be so sensitive that we will know if he left us. But there's too many people in this world that accepted Christ 40 years ago and have never done anything about it. Well, I accepted him 40 years ago, and I'm okay because I said that little prayer 40 years ago, and I'm going to go to heaven because I said that prayer 40 years ago. Well, their faith isn't in God, it's in the prayer. And no prayer will save you. The only thing that saves it is Christ and accepting his death 
And I don't ever want to be so desensitized to his spirit that I won't know when he's left me. Sometimes we know when we're around people, we notice they're not as patient as they used to be. That's a good giveaway. <laughs> if we're more patient, the closer we are to God, the more patient we are, aren't we? Anyway, that works for me. I don't know about you, but if I'm starting to be very, very impatient, then I know that I need to get on my knees. Say, God, what's going on? We need to walk in the anointing. We need to work in the anointing, whether it's in a, a ministry or whether it's a regular job, and your regular job is your ministry. We are all ministers. I'm just up here preaching, but that doesn't mean that my ministry is any more important than yours because it's not. Actually, yours is more important because you're out in the world more than I am. You're going to interact with people more than I will. So your job is more important in some respects than mine is. I like for you can bring them here and we'll talk to them about God. But generally speaking, your life is going to affect more people than mine will anymore. I did when I was younger, when I was serving God in the workplace every, every day. But I'm not there anymore. And as long as we serve God, as long as we let his anointing flow through us, it'll be easy to go to work. Easier to go to work, I should say. All of us want, dream about the day we retire. Well, guess what? It isn't as much fun as I thought it would be. I tell you, the golden years just means that it takes all your gold to survive them. Yeah, I'll tell you, wake up one morning, you say, what happened to my body? Everything you ever hurt in your life is going to hurt one day. For me, it was at 55. I got up, man, what happened to me? <laughs> if you're not there yet, I don't know what year that'll be for you, but that was the year it was for me, and it was not a good year. But we need to walk in his anointing. We need to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and anoint us and not live as we please. We have to cherish, pursue, and guard the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If we put the old man to death every day and live for Jesus, if we cultivate a sweet disposition, dealing with others in grace, and we have a choice whether we want to be nice to people or not. Sometimes you may have to bite your tongue. But we have a choice to be nice or not be nice. And as believers, we should be nice to people. We shouldn't have to not be nice because they're going to say, oh, you're a Christian? Those are some of the worst words someone could say to you. And you call yourself a Christian and you've treated them like that? May that never be said of me. But sometimes the world has a different idea what a Christian is than what God does, so don't worry about that kind of stuff. If it's something you're guilty of, repent and apologize. Some of the best testimony you can have for someone is to go up and say, you know, yesterday I did this and I just want to apologize because I'm a Christian and it just broke God's heart when I did that. And he convicted me, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I guarantee it, after they're going to go, oh, really? They're going to be shocked, but it'll be a testimony. And they'll say, oh, man, that's what Christianity is? Christianity teaches you to love people and be nice to people and be kind? Wow, I think I want some of that. But God will help us to be better, not bitter, if we let him. We can't let life make us bitter. We have to let the Holy Spirit and his anointing make us, make us better. 
if we seek God's face in prayer and fellowship with the Holy Spirit daily, then we won't just have an occasional anointing. We'll walk in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Then the anoint, God's anointing will fill our lives and equip us to every good work. And we'll live in the anointing and walk in the anointing, just the same as Christ did, because he showed us how. It's really simple. We just have to die to self, allow God to do his own thing through us, then we will. 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We have to be in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means we have to be prepared every time we get, in no matter circumstance that it is, to testify about God, to talk about God. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, by starting the day all right, by talking to God, by reading his word, because if we get this in here, then the Holy Spirit will bring it out, and it won't be in anger, but in love. Because if, if, if we show the world how much God loves them by loving them, we can't love anybody unless God does it through us. Because most people are not easy to love. And I know I'm not easy to love. I feel sorry for my husband some days. <laughs> but he does because God loves him, loves me through him. <laughs> so how are we going to do that? By living in the anointing. The anointing isn't some magical thing that we get. It's something that we receive at the foot of the cross when we confess our sins and say, here's my life, Lord, I give it to you. Then he will come and live within us and change us from the inside out. We not only need to seek God's anointing in everything, but we need to live and walk in that anointing. Amen? Let's pray. I bless him, Father, Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord.